Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another edition of Outdoor Country Talk with Jacob and Jeremy. Today, it's only me. Uh, sometimes life gets in the way, work and family, and for today, Jeremy had to had to miss out on this one, but... The guest we've got today, ladies and gentlemen, is is one I've been looking forward to listening to. Uh, we're kind of rolling in, trying to get some of our outfitters in and and let y'all know what's out there and what options if you want to get on the road and make some hunts and or just hear some good stories. But today we got Mr. Garrett Ratch with us with Name the Game Outfitters. Mr. Garrett, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? Man, we're just enjoying this sunny weather here. What's it like in Oklahoma? You know, actually, it's pretty nice today. Actually, yesterday, we had a little cool front come in. It got it up to about the mid-80s, so we took advantage of it. Did some fishing, but today it's warming up a little bit more, but can't complain. It's uh, still a nice day. Now, unless I'm mistaken, you'll guide just about anything, won't you? Yeah, that's actually kind of kind of how the outfitting business, kind of how I got my name, actually, uh, Name the Game Outfitters. We uh, do just about everything. Oklahoma. I'm based at Oklahoma. Um, Northeast Oklahoma is where I'm based out of, but I've got ranches in Kansas and Texas as well. And uh, we do just about everything. We do whitetails. We do quail, pheasant. Um, we do waterfowl. We do hogs. We do predators, turkeys. Uh, just about everything you can think of, we do it. And like I said, during the off season, we do hogs as well. Um, like right now, we're doing hog hunts. Um, we're doing a couple bow fishing trips right here in Oklahoma, um, and we do also do a couple. Uh, we do a couple exotic hunts uh, in the summer as well. This time of year, we do Audad, Black Buck, Axis, Meal Guy. Uh, we do all that in Texas, obviously. But um, yeah, it kind of keeps us busy during the off season between the hogs, exotics, and uh, some bow fishing trips. Kind of keeps us busy until deer season comes back around. Man, it, it sounds like y'all do stay busy all the time. <laughs> yeah. The now the hog hunt y'all are running right now, are they you? You're in a blind, you're in a stand, or Man, y'all? We, we do we do a little bit of everything doing? as far as the hog hunt goes. It really depends on you know what the client wants. We do uh, a lot of our hog hunts we do in western Oklahoma are more like wheat fields. Okay. So I mean we, we usually we usually kill them, you know, right before dark. And then same thing right there in the in Texas we'll we'll do we'll do them in wheat fields, but we'll do it after dark with thermal and night vision. We'll, uh, you know, we'll drive around on uh, the ranches we got, and we'll spot them out in the middle of the field, and we'll get a good wind and, and take off, you know, spot and stock. Usually get, you know, under 100 yards from them and just open up on them with thermal. It's, that's, that's one of the funnest ways to do it at night this time of year is catch them out in the wheat field with thermal. But, now we also do uh, we also do blind hunts, stand hunts as well in Oklahoma, um, hunting over feeders and water holes. You know, it really depends, you know, just whatever the client wants. We, we do a little bit of everything. We uh, we do dogs as well. If the client wants to do a dog hunt, um, we got dogs for that. But, you know, just a little bit of everything, honestly. We, this past year was my first time to ever, uh, a friend of mine called. He's got thermal, and um, he was trying to get me to buy one, and he's not far from it. I already had an old night scope that I used a couple times over the years. And I said, well, man, I'll come play with the thermal, and, like you say, that's that's a really neat way to be able to hunt them. To be able to pick out everything that you can pick out through that thermal, you know, because we were hunting in proximity fields with cows and other livestock, so you had to be able right. to tell what you were shooting at. And 
it was amazing how clear those things are. And, oh, it's incredible. Like I said, you get them out in the middle of that wheat field. You got you got two or three clients. You get them out in the middle of a wheat field, and you get 50, 60 yards from them before you start shooting. I mean, typically, we can kill 10 or 15 pigs before they make it out of the field. Well, I mean, you can just see them clear as day. And to go back to what you were saying earlier, if you'll get the wind right, you can walk right up on them. Oh, yeah. Like I said, typically, you know, especially if we got a couple of guys that are, you know, quiet walkers, we'll, we'll get, you know, I mean, you'll pretty much get in bow range before you even start shooting them. Um, we got guys that are a little louder. We'll stay out a little further. But either way, yeah, you can get in pretty close <laughs> to them at night, especially if you got a pretty, you know, 10, 15 mile per hour wind covers your sound a little bit. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, I had a lot of fun with, like I say, I've got a night scope. I know for the podcast, I've, I filmed some and showed some of it over time. And, but now we've gotten into trapping more, um, oh, yeah. setting up hog yep. traps, but we're not doing it for, you know, hunting per se, more just trying to get, trying to get them out of the area. Uh, I had 24 here a couple of weeks ago in a sounder and wound up killing about 10 of them. I missed the rest of them, but I've still got traps set up and still trying to work on them. I've got a new trap we're setting up at my mama's place that I know she said she had 18 or 19 come across her driveway the other morning. And they will tell you, tear, they're, they're will hard tear. to get rid of. They're hard to get rid of unless you. Uh, about about the only way you can get rid of them anymore is with a helicopter. I don't know if and see that doesn't work over here. Too much timber. Oh yeah, you can't really get them all out of there, huh? You know, uh, some friends of mine went with the Hella Bacon. Yeah. Group a couple years ago and had an absolute blast with them. And you know, you had a roll drum on a twelve gauge shotgun shooting <laughs> yeah. out beside the helicopter, and and they they were you know. I know they've talked about going back, but nobody's ever actually put up to go yet. But I want in on that one. But over here, you oh, got, it's an absolute blast, man. We, we've know. done it before. We've done it before out of the helicopters, and that's probably my one of my favorite ways to hunt them. Um, another way we get we we hunt them. That's obviously probably the the most you know probably the funnest way I can think of for a bow hunter. You know, outside of just sitting in a stand over a feeder or a water hole, especially in Texas, we got a we have a, pl- a place we hunt down there in Texas that. We'll always take a couple clients down there and guide, but um, it's down there in the brush country and thick. It's, it's it's thick brush. I mean, really, the only thing you could hunt are the senderos, and then we got barrels placed all through the brush, and they're fifty-gallon drums, plastic fifty-gallon drums with holes drilled in them all the way around, and it's on a chain and a T post. So what it does, you'll you'll pour anywhere between a half a bag and a full bag of corn in there. The pigs will come in at night, and they'll flip that barrel around. And as they flip it around, they'll get corn out of the holes. But it takes them, you know, a long time to get it all out just because, you know, it's smaller holes. So it'll keep them occupied for, you know, three, four hours, sometimes all night. And it gives you enough time to get in there and, and uh, sneak in on them and get them killed. We cut a little pass through the brush. And by the time you come out to the end of the path and you come to full draw, you're only 10 or 15 yards from them. That's, that's one of the, my favorite ways. Um, I've bow hunted them at night. Sound like a good way to get run over by a hole. Yeah. Hey, it's, a, it's, a, it's an adrenaline rush, man. I'll tell you what, we did it. Actually, we did it just a couple of weeks ago. We had some clients that we got it down there. And after, actually, after the clients left, we stayed and hunted a couple of days for ourselves. But, man, we killed some big, big boars doing it. 250 plus, uh, probably five or six 250 plus pound boars doing it. And I don't think any of the shots were over 15, 10 or 15 yards. Really? So it's definitely intense. What we'll do is we'll put kill lights on them at night. Put some kill lights on them so whenever they come in, a red or green light will come on so you can see them. And then, like I said, you'll sneak in there with a good wind. 
and usually I'll have a camera set up on them. I'll have a mobile camera, so you know when they show up at the barrel, I can I can look on my phone and see if they're there, and then we'll get a w- good win and make a stock in. Okay. And then, you know you can hear them the entire time. The I was, entire time you're stocking in, you can hear. I was wondering you hear them flipping how you, them barrels, so it's it's a drilling rush. I was wondering how you knew which barrel to hunt, but you've got you've got cameras set up so you know which yeah. one's actually being active and which one's not. Exactly. Yeah. Over the years, we've we've uh, we kept adding adding things to it to you know help us out. You know, the past couple of years, we've always just had cameras out and we would check them. And you know, we we start patterning pigs and say, all right, this this barrel we got a pig kept showing up between you know twelve and two. This barrel they're coming in between. 10 and midnight and we would just try to be there during that time frame well now we got mobile cameras so now it even makes it honestly it makes it even easier for us we just put the mobile cameras on all the barrels that we got good winds on and then we just keep tabs on them all night and when they show up we take off and uh get on the right side of the barrel to make a good stock and suck in and, and kill them that's awesome that t- no, it's a blast man let's back up a second how did you tell me this and tell all our listeners here how did you get started in outfitting business what, what made Man. you decide you know this is a, a life choice i want to make this is the way i want to go so i mean so i, I grew up i grew up all probably since i was three or four years old my, my dad and grandpa started taking me hunting and you know we growing up we did absolutely everything and i think that's why i've got a passion for you know every species that i do is i mean i grew up we did it all i mean and i think it was um, just like I said, everything my my dad and grandpa took me on. I mean, we went from everything from quail to rabbits to squirrels to deer, turkeys, hogs, waterfowl, upland, everything you can think of. I mean, if it was that season, we were hunting. So uh, there wasn't ever a time of the year where we were just, you know, hanging out at the house. We were always hunting or fishing, whatever season it was. So, you know, when I, as I got older, and, you know, that never that never faded out of me. I just I just kept it going, and it's like growing up every season – no matter what season it was, I was out there doing it. So I, uh, I think it was probably about 13 years old. I started guiding hog hunts on, uh, my uncle's ranch. My uncle has a ranch in, uh, Pawnee, Oklahoma. And I started guiding hog hunts. I think I guided for three summers out there and I was doing it between school. Obviously I was still in school, but I was guiding in the summertime and then, you know, on the weekends in the winter. And from there on out, I, you know, I always knew that's something I was, I wanted to do you know, for my job after, you know, I graduated college. So it, I never lost sight of it. And I, so I went and uh, played college ball for four years. I went, went and played at a junior college for two years and then uh, played at the uh, University of Kansas for two years and okay. graduate, graduated there with a business management degree. And as soon as I graduated there, I went straight into um, creating this outfitting business. So I, I was uh, – started guiding part-time i graduated started guiding part-time i took about probably 10 or 15 hunters a year like during deer season probably 10 or 15 deer hunters a year handful of hog hunters handful of turkey hunters until i got to the point to where you know my clientele was good enough to where i was like you know i could probably start doing this full-time now and i was already friends with a lot of guys in the industry just through you know hunting at a bunch of different camps over the years and uh and shows and everything else just became friends. A lot of a lot of good guys in the industry, like Fred Eichler and Jeff Danker, Buck Ventures, a couple guys on Jury Outdoors, um, Pat Nicole from Driven TV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I knew, you know, once I started too, these guys always said, you know, you, you get it up and running, we'll come and hunt with you. So, I think it was the first year I was I was officially 
the first year Name the Game Outfitters was started, I think Danker, Jeff Danker came and hunted with me. Um, a couple guys from Jury, Sean Lundy, and uh, Fred Eichley. I think they all came and hunted with me, and it wasn't long after that. I mean, they all came, killed nice bucks with me. And really, the word of mouth after that got out, and it just kind of kind of exploded from there. It's just been crazy ever since. You wouldn't want it any other way, would you? I wouldn't want it any way, man. Wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, I, I told you before we got on the show that you know we did a show with Sean not long ago, and we had him and little Debbie on, and it was it was, it was definitely a fun visit. Uh, getting a I think they were getting ready to turkey hunt the next morning and opening their youth turkey season. And little Debbie had to let us know what all snacks he had ready for the blind. <laughs> and, you know, his, his take on, on everything was different. You know, he, he didn't really so much care about being behind the camera. He wanted to be on the camera. He, he's a shooter. Oh yeah. So hey, uh, hey, that, I'll tell you what too, for, for his age, he's good in front of the camera. He doesn't miss a beat. No, that's what I've noticed watching the show over the years or keeping up with Sean's stuff, tracking it on social media and stuff. No, when he gets when he gets on there, he's ready to rock and roll. He's not. He is, man. He's not. Playing. He's a little killer too. Well, and you know, going back, growing up, you know, we hunted everything under the sun too. Uh, and I know I, I can't imagine which technology has changed. You know, kids are growing up in a different time, but I. I don't know what I'd have done with the pressure of somebody aiming a camera at me while I was trying to shoot at something. <laughs> no, I, I hear you, man. And, and being in front of the camera, that's, that's, that just comes with experience. I mean, I remember even, even the first couple, first couple TV shows that came and hunted with me, how nerve wracking it was having a camera over your shoulder. And then you kind of, you kind of get used to it over the years and you just, you kind of realize you just got to be yourself and act like it's not even there. And it makes it a lot easier. Well, main but, thing is trying not to do anything stupid or say anything you're not right. supposed to. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, you definitely got to watch your mouth sometimes. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to have that one comment or that one facial expression. <laughs> you know, uh, I I think I have a poker face most of the time, but I know sometimes it does run away from me when somebody says something and I'm just kind of looking. Like, yeah. What did they say? Oh, uh, surely yeah. that didn't just come out. But yeah. Well, what's good about that is that's what that's what, that's what a good editor comes in for, huh? <laughs> no, see, if I was the editor, that would be the one I would definitely leave in. <laughs> I, yeah, we we've had some other guys that do shows on here before, and you know they talk about well, you know we try not to show any misses, and I'm like, no, show every miss. Yeah, that, see, that, that, that would that's, be uh, what that's how I am. I was like, you show the misses. That's that's part of it. I mean, anyone, no, no matter how good or bad of a hunter they are, everyone they've hunted long enough, you've missed, I and mean, that's just the fact of it. Part of it. So yeah. I mean, I think I, I think you ought to show it too. If you haven't missed, you just haven't shot that much. And it doesn't matter if it's a bow, a shotgun. Look, I was guiding a duck hunt last year with some guys from South Louisiana, and duck comes in, swings around on my side. I shoot three times. I don't cut a feather. (laughs) The guy on the other end of the blind turned around when it swung around his side, fired one shot, a long shot, and just folded it. And I'm like, that's bad. That's bad. Now I didn't miss many more the rest of the day, but I'm telling you that one. I just I got behind it and never got caught up to it. And instead of taking my time on the second, third shot and actually getting a good lead and getting on it, it was just like bam, bam, bam. Like what yeah. in the world? And when he yeah. folded it, they give me so much. You know, when the out when the guide actually misses, 
everybody has a great time. So oh, I mean, everyone's got something to say about. Oh, they all give me junk. Now they miss plenty throughout the morning themselves, but they, you know, mine was apparently the only one that was remembered all day long. So, <laughs> hey, I've been there. I've been there, done that, brother. Trust me. But uh, never hear, never hear the end of it. <laughs> but now, you run, you run deer. What, what type of deer are y'all normally on? What size? Man, I'd say I'd say as an average, uh, I'd say all three ranches combined between between Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. I'd say average. You know, on average, we kill mid one forty deer, but I mean, we kill a lot bigger deer than that too. I mean, last year I think we ended up having uh, six or seven clients kill one sixty and above. I think we had two clients kill one seventy and above. I think we had over probably 10 or 12 killed 150 and above. So, I mean, we could have a lot of solid deer killed last year. Yeah, sounds But like I'd it. say on average of, you know, mid-140s, mid a lot of mid-140s were being killed. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with we have a lot bigger deer on camera a lot of times. But, you know, a guy comes in and has a solid, mature mid-140s comes in. They, 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 it seems like a lot of guys just have a hard time holding off of it. And I don't blame them, you know. <laughs> so, uh seems like a lot of guys usually finish their hunt in the first or second day because they'll have that first, you know, solid buck come in and they 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 laid the hammer down on them so what's that saying the bird in the hand is better than two in the bush that's right that's so right brother go ahead and get that tag field and that's now, exactly right garrett something i thought about earlier now in oklahoma when i used to live in north texas oklahoma had a very short deer season has that changed um oklahoma's opens october 1st and goes to january 15th so it's it's still it's still a pretty long deer season. Our, our rifle season is three weeks long, two weekends. Maybe that's um, what it was. And was it only, was it one time, was it only primitive weapon uh, as years far, ago? Well, or am I remembering well, something wrong? You may be remembering it wrong. We used to have, we used to be able to kill three bucks. They back, they backed it up to two bucks instead of three. Um, other than that, as far as I know, man, growing up, October 1st to January 15th always been our typical deer season but the and then, the, we, and then we got mainly, muzzleloader season in there too which is a week long two weekends maybe that's what i'm on but i was thinking the rifle season was real short because like mississippi you know both seasons a month then you start rifle season which used to be primitive weapon season but now you can pretty well shoot with anything you want right right uh, no, and then even even texas i mean you know, texas has got that long rifle season right there in north texas we're in the panhandle of texas i think there it's like starts november 2nd and goes all the way to like january 6th so they got a they got a long rifle season there but that we got we get like i said ours three weeks two weekends and i think they're even talking about extending ours an extra week this next year so we'll see what happens but uh um yeah i know they were talking about it well i know when we hunted oklahoma a good friend of mine had some property just north of red river where where we were at and had a about a 300 acre pecan orchard and it had deer had hogs it had a few turkeys, but not a whole bunch right there where he was at. But, you know, I remember it, we, we had a lot of time for archery, but it seemed for some reason we had a short wind, and it may have just been that county that we could actually rifle hunt, or that may have been the amount of time that I was invited to come up and hunt. Um, right. You know, we, we trapped hogs and, and hunted hogs as much as we could to keep them out of that pecan orchard because they, they just demolished everything rooting and tearing everything up yep that's that's one thing they'll do especially even wheat fields a lot of our wheat fields it's you almost got to keep a you got to keep a control on them because they'll go out there in those wheat fields and root everything up and mess it up for your deer hunting 
Now, do y'all plant many plots on the properties that y'all have, or do you have enough agriculture out there that you yeah, really don't have? A, to? a lot of what we plant in Oklahoma is uh, we do winter wheat on majority of our majority of our ranches. We do winter wheat, and it just it, it does good with a lot of our soil types. So it's uh, that's something we always plant. So a little, some, some of our plots we have have clover in them, but like I said, for, for the most part, Oklahoma we, we we stick with winter wheat, and it's always seemed to do a pretty good job. Same thing right there in the Panhandle of Texas. Uh, mostly winter wheat, real dry out there, so it always it always does a pretty good job for the amount of rain we get out there. Um, and obviously Kansas, we got you know we got a little bit of everything on our Kansas farm. We got Milo, corn, soybeans, so no shortage of food up there. You know where we hunt. Uh, I told you before we started the show. I hunt out towards Sonora Del Rio area some, and yep. there's no planting of anything out there, so. I guess it just depends on where your ranch is to, you know, the properties that you have. But out there where we hunt at, if you don't have a corn feeder, you're not hunting. Uh, yeah. Alfalfa bin uh, to put some hay out and, you know, you're attracting anything and everything in the country then. But it's so oh, much absolutely. to leach and, and, and we still, we still run feeders on all of our property, especially, uh, you know, Oklahoma and Texas. You know, we have we have corn feeders uh, set up on absolutely everything. Um, and all of our deer come into them like clockwork, even our mature bucks. You know, a lot of guys, they're, they're a little bit standoffish about hunting feeders because they say, you know, they don't think that you, your mature bucks like coming into them very much. Well, I think it really depends on, you know, how long you've had them on a piece of property, you know, what they're used to. A lot of these properties we've had for 15, 20 years. Um, you know, I've had them in the family for that long, so we've been managing them for a long, uh, long period of time. So a lot of these bucks that are coming into the feeders, you know, they don't know any better. You know, ever since, you know, they were a fawn, their mom was taking them into those feeders. So it's natural to them. Well, and if so, you're not you know, overpressure, All of our five and a half, six and a half year old deer, I mean, they'll come into those feeders during the daylight, like clockwork during deer season. And like I said, I think it, just, it blows people's mind that they they come there and hunt and they see that. But like I said, I think it has a lot to do with, one, those deer are used to it. They grew up around them. And two, you know, just low pressure, um, low pressure on the ranches to where, you know, they're not, the deer aren't, the deer aren't spooky and they're really not nocturnal at all a lot of our deer i'd say during deer season we probably have more daylight pictures than we do night pictures well i get tickled around here and some of the other places around the country i hunt they talk about man you know once once season starts it's almost like the deer know it i said it is <laughs> have you heard the yep. gravel popping around here lately once deer season started they <laughs> yeah. know they know That's when right. there's activity in the woods and when there's not and they you know they they know when the pressure's on uh, that's right it doesn't take many shots before they realize okay i may not need to come out at three o'clock in the afternoon oh uh, yeah that's right yeah and sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't help if you got a neighbor that's uh over there shooting at everything you know it definitely pressures your deer as well you know because they're traveling back and forth but oh we hunted a, we hunted a piece of property last year i got an invite to hunt and the guy was telling me that his his partner son is now old enough and he was bringing some buddies out there and hunting it and i told him i said look you may want to check your cameras at night and see what's getting shot. He said, what you talking about? I said, man, I said, that's about the spookiest animals I have ever seen on one of these <laughs> wide open ranches like this. Normally they just sit there and look at you. You know I mean? Right. It's, it's not a, no. When your headlights would hit the corner, they would take off running, you know, in the mornings going to a stand. They knew the program, huh? And they got to looking and he said, you know, he said, you were right. He said, it's a lot of stuff being you know, we we've got to address now. I said, yeah, if you're going if you're going to have consistent hunters out here, you're going to have to stop that. Uh, some of the nighttime riding and early morning shooting, 
he's gonna yeah. have to lay off. Oh yeah, it doesn't take them long to pick up on that program, does it? No, they've been to run everything in the country out. And I That's think right. what they were doing was going around and shooting coons at the feeders. Oh yeah, which is perfectly legal to do at night, but. It also makes all your games spooky. So yeah, that's probably something I would try to do in the off season. You know, <laughs> instead of uh, during deer season, whenever you know that deer are going to be in the area and it's going to spook them every time you shoot something else. But besides deer and hogs, y'all do turkeys, y'all do quail, you do pheasants, you do ducks also, ducks and geese. Correct? Yep, we do ducks and geese. Like I said, we do most of our duck hunts here in Oklahoma. Um, a lot of our we do some goose hunts here in Oklahoma, but a lot of our goose hunts we do up in around Topeka, Kansas. We got a ton of birds up there, so we always have really good goose season up there. Our duck hunts, we do a lot down here and flooded sloughs and stuff. Um, and then our quail, we do a lot of our quail hunts in Oklahoma and Kansas, um, some in Texas as well. And then we do some of our pheasant hunts in uh, western Kansas. So we bounce around, like I said, we bounce around just about everywhere. I've got three guides working for me. So, like I said, I'll be somewhere guiding, and then whatever, wherever I have, you know, another group of clients booked, uh, I'll have my. Uh, my guide's guiding them as well. So you'll run, you'll run all at once. You're running duck hunts and deer hunts all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Typically, I, my, I got I got two waterfowl guides in Kansas that guide for me, and uh, especially like you know when December hits, you know they're, they're running uh, duck hunts up, duck and goose hunts up there. So I'll still I'll still book you know duck and goose hunts, and I'll still be in Oklahoma or Texas guiding deer hunts. And they'll be up there guiding waterfowl hunts. And, you know, once I finish with deer hunters, I'll go up there and, and help them the rest of the season with, you know, quail and waterfowl hunters. Now, do you book all of your own hunts yourself? Or do you yeah, have I, somebody that I, handles I book, most of that? I book all of them myself. Um, sometimes it gets a little hectic answering messages and stuff, especially during the season. But, yeah, I do uh, I do 90% of my booking through my Instagram. Um, and then uh, – uh, I'd say the other percentage is just word of mouth, and you know, someone gets my number from someone that's hunted with me, and that's 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 pretty much how I book most of my hunts. Actually, I'll be honest, with you, I'm not even I'm not even completely done with my website yet. It's getting built now. Actually, my first three years of business, I was staying booked up just off you know Instagram and word of mouth through guys that have hunted with me. Um, so I, there was actually no need to to finish it, and I was so busy, I got caught up, and I was like, well, probably need to get that website done because you still got some guys that don't have social media that like to get on websites and you know look at prices and lodging and all that good stuff so well yeah you can go on there and do a search you know Oklahoma deer hunts and it pulls up and they can go through like you say and and see your lodging see what everything you've got see pictures of of past animals and that's right and And, and I I do I do a little bit of uh, guiding and booking for uh a couple of outfits in Africa as well. I, go, I usually go to Africa every year, except for obviously this year because the COVID coronavirus kind of messed that up. Um, but I usually I usually go to Africa every year and, and usually hunt a week or two for myself, and then usually we got some clients that will come in from the states and uh, and hunt as well. So I kind of missed doing that this year, but you know it's kind of part of it. I, I had to miss out on that and my annual bear hunt in Saskatchewan. You know, obviously couldn't leave. Couldn't leave the country because of coronavirus. So, well, Gary, I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I think you may keep your feet busier than I keep mine. <laughs> you you now, sound I, like you like travel more. Say, than if I I'm on home more than a week, I start feeling weird. I feel like I need to get out and do something, go hunting or fishing somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I ask if you book your own stuff, if you're running multiple guiding outfitters and and different guides on different parts of the country. 
on different species. I I don't know how you even remotely keep up with that many. Uh, you don't have time to sit down, and when you do, you're sitting down writing something out, trying to make sure you've got it scheduled properly. That's right. Yeah, a lot of my off days consist of, you know, getting guys in schedule, make sure every, all the paperwork's where it needs to be, and then you know, working the ranches between filling feeders and checking cameras. Seems like it never ends. But like I said, I, I honestly I don't think I, I don't think I'd have it any other way. But you know, I don't know if a lot of folks and and a lot of our listeners, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume probably do, but you know, a lot of folks don't realize how much work goes into it during the off season. You know, they see you're busy during the on season when it's when it, you know, whether you're duck hunting or or deer hunting or whatever you're doing, you you're always busy doing something, changing a blind, changing a setup, moving a stand filling a feeder but i don't think a lot of people realize how much work it is during the off season getting everything ready to go oh yeah absolutely like i said especially between you know i'm running three different states so between those three states i got you know right around twenty thousand acres so i mean bouncing back and forth between all three states you know uh planting food plots you know positioning stands putting new stands and box blinds up feeders keeping feeders full maintaining fences keeping cows out running cameras i mean it's an absolute full-time job i mean just just actually just driving back and forth to them all is a job in itself and then getting there and knocking all the work out and especially you know I, I do a lot of it during the off season just me and typically maybe one other buddy so it's uh oh it it, it keeps you more than busy how, all right i'm gonna ask a question how many miles a year do you put on a pickup truck <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think this year. <laughs> or have you just bought an airplane and decided to fly? Yeah, oh, hey, trust me, if I can if I, if I can fly somewhere, I'd rather fly than drive. I know a lot of people would rather drive, but, you know, it really depends where I'm going. If, if I'm going somewhere where I need to take a lot of hunting gear with me, obviously i, I got to drive. But if I can if I can take it all on an airplane, I, I'd rather jump on an airplane and get there quickly. No, but I, I don't know. I, I'd say this year, I'd say this year alone, I put 50,000 miles in my truck. I don't know. Wow. give or take see i was actually gonna guess you even probably put more than that on there it, it may be more than that it's hard it's hard to keep up with it but yeah i, I, I definitely run the tires off of them nothing wrong with that nothing you need to get a, a truck dealership sponsor i know right going for I'll, long I'll, I'll, whether I'll let you the same thing let you demo one or test one look i've thrown it out there to folks before that if you want product testing bring it to me <laughs> Cause we're kind of rough on stuff, so uh, if you want some good <laughs> feedback and to see how durable your product is, that's right. We can help you out. That's what I always say. I said the, the one truck you'll never want to own is an Outfitter's truck. Whenever, whenever he's done with it, I can promise you, it, it was rode hard. So uh, an Outfitter's truck and an oil field hands truck. Hey, that's true. That's true. Uh, that's true. They run across the same same kind of ground. I've I've known some over the years that uh, you know they work for the company and the company pays for the truck and they don't pay a whole lot of attention. Just run that thing. If it breaks, <laughs> right. the company will fix them a new one and they go again. So it's uh, you know, it's just testing it out, see how durable it is. I guess most time it's a competition. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now on your on your duck hunts, duck hunting and turkey hunting are my two favorite, and I know that's two of the things you do. But uh, you were saying that in the ducks, y'all are y'all are hunting mainly marshes, or do y'all hunt more open field? Um, it, it depends. depends on where uh, in ducks Oklahoma, be. In, in Oklahoma, especially uh, um, you know mid season where everything's not froze up, we hunt a lot of uh, like flooded sloughs that we have on a lot of our big ranches. We got a bunch of sloughs we flood. Um, 
and we hunt a lot of that mid-season. Once everything starts freezing up, we'll, we'll, we'll start hunting some open water and fields. Um, in Kansas, uh, we, we have some pretty good field duck hunts up there as well, especially once everything starts free, freezing up and they start hitting fields pretty hard with the geese. Um, usually we'll have a couple good hunts where we'll, you know, we'll, we'll smash the ducks and geese together. But um, the goose season up in Kansas is right there where we're at. It's pretty incredible. Like I said, this past season we had – we had a, an awesome season up there. We killed we killed a lot of geese. I think there was only a group or two all season where we didn't kill an absolute limit with. Um, but that was it. And then, and the, the the guys that didn't limit that was because they had, you know, ten or twelve guys, and we only came up a couple birds short. So I mean, we we did we did we did good this season. When did kind of getting off of its own topic, but off topic? But when did Oklahoma Kansas get so good? on duck hunting and goose hunting because like when i lived 15 years ago when i lived in wichita falls it was okay it wasn't it wasn't a hot commodity that it is now was it always that good and just the word had not gotten out or that and you know some people will say the opposite but i think honestly i think there's a lot more i I think there's a lot more duck hunters there today than there you know than there ever has been i think a lot of that has to do with i say in all of it but i think a lot of it has to do with you know the duck commander boys starting that show called duck dynasty you know i think everyone's seen that and everyone wanted to go try duck you know <laughs> so i think there's definitely a lot more hunters now so maybe you're, you're seeing it more because I, I remember growing up in oklahoma duck hunting with my dad even when i was young and we, we'd pound ducks even you know a lot of it was on public property and we just never had any competition i mean we had a lot of these slews we'd go to we'd you know a lot of times we'd have it to ourselves you know maybe one other group and, you know, we, it seems like we were shooting limits almost every weekend. And, it, and it's like as I got older, it just it got crazier and crazier. And now you go to those public spots. I mean, by 4 a.m., there may be 15 trucks in the parking lot. It's just crazy how many more duck hunters there are now. You know, when, when I was in college, Duck Commander had just come out. That was about the same time TK and Mike had just come out. Um, yeah. You know, we we would watch the videotapes to to go ahead and tell how old I am. But uh, oh no, I grew up I grew up watching the, the TK and Mike's uh, VHS along with the Duck Commander VHS tapes, and I, I watched them. I mean, a lot of people didn't even know you know who the Duck Commander boys were before Duck Dynasty. They didn't know that you know Phil made his living in the, by making calls and making hunting videos. But when I lived in Wichita Falls, I had actually I was on a committee, a DU committee up there one year uh, or two years trying to make some friends that, you know, that liked to duck hunt and shared the same passions that I did. And it was neat. Nobody on the committee duck hunted. They held a wonderful event, raised all kind of money for a good organization. None of them duck hunted. They would go on a guided hunt once a year, but never, never really went on their own, never, never did anything. And it was like, you know, how, how are you in a, a duck organization you don't duck hunt? I mean, I, right. I guess it takes all kinds, but it was always neat to me because I, I did finally meet some guys that, you know, when you're new to an area, you first move to an area, you're trying to meet folks that share the same common interests as you do. And, right. and deer hunting, turkey hunting, some of them, everybody liked to deer hunt, but turkey hunting was uh, maybe every once in a while, but nobody duck hunted. Uh, if you went around Dallas, you know, up there above the lake some, up on Red River, they'd hunt some. Uh, but it just didn't, and I don't know if social media has helped spread the word on that. 
Yeah, it, I, it think, just I think didn't. You're, I think social media and you know maybe people more people are just taking you know young ones hunting these days to where more people are getting introduced to it, which is a good thing. But um, yeah, like I say, have you have you have you elk hunted before? No, I have not. Oh, if you like if you like turkey hunting, you would love elk hunting because it's about it's about like turkey hunting times ten. <laughs> well, all you, right, let's make that comparison. Okay, you're you're stalking on. Yeah, I guess you are calling. You're bugling and getting them to answer back. And yeah, my favorite time is is uh, is in September. Usually mid September when when the bulls are really hot. Like I said, I I got it. I actually got it at elk hunts for a couple of years. Um, I usually still take a couple every year, but um, really that mid September for for bow hunters is man, it's that's the magical time to be to be in the mountains. It's uh, you got a big bull coming in screaming at 15 yards. It's uh, you talk about adrenaline rush. I mean, you you know what it's like to have a big, big tom coming in gobbling. You can feel it in your chest when he gets you know 20 yards or under. Oh, when it's he same thing with and... a big bull, but you know times 10. I mean, you can literally feel that bugle in your chest. I know a lot of good, a lot of good bow hunters that have messed up a 20 yard shot on a big bull <laughs> just because it gets them that fired up. Yeah. We, I saw a video not long ago where a, a guy I know who is a very good bow hunter, and good, uh, he missed one. The second one, he stuck him dead center. The, the bull actually didn't run, but about 15 yards straight over, it really didn't get any further from him. And he was able to get a second shot, and he drilled him on a second one. But the first shot was like, wow, he shot smooth over him at 25. I mean, it was, <laughs> it, And you're shooting at something that's the size of a cow. Oh, I know. In your mind, you're, you're thinking there's no way you're going to miss the vitals. But uh, yeah, when you get a when you get a bull in there screaming at ten or fifteen yards, all that changes. All that, all the shooting during the off season, prep, you know, prepping for that hunt, it kind of all goes out the window. <laughs> well, let's do this. Most memorable good hunt. I know you've been on a thousand hunts and you've hunted with lots of other people. Your most memorable hunt good hunt hmm i put you on the spot i should have hit you up with this earlier no, no, but no, i just that, thought about fine. it when I'm you were saying think, man i got so many that come to mind that have been good memories over the years um you know growing up I, like i said i think i think that those hunts with grandpa you, you don't ever you seem to never forget those and same thing with my dad too but i remember uh i think i was six years old and i was shooting I think I was shooting a, I think I was shooting a 20 gauge and, uh, it, it, and I'd been turkey on a couple times before, but he, my grandpa was taking me turkey on trying to get me my first bird. And I won't ever, I won't ever forget getting in there early and hearing the, hearing the toms off the roost. But you know, as a young turkey hunter, even now, you know, when you get out there at the beginning of every turkey season, the, the first thing you like to hear is that Tom, you know, the birds gobbling off the roost. I remember hearing that thinking that was absolutely incredible and i know from that that point on i knew i was hooked just hearing those toms gobble but i remember setting up and even then setting up it was just me and my grandpa but he went and set up a decoy in front of us in the corner of this field and we were probably i don't know 150 yards from the roost 200 yards from the roost and uh and back then you know we didn't have the nice decoys we do now we were just using those old foam decoys that you fold up in your bag i know you know exactly what i'm talking about i got a couple in my shop if you want some yeah. for uh old yeah. time uh, we've we killed a lot of birds over those decoys <laughs> yeah we didn't have, we didn't have any nice dave smith or avian x back then but um i remember setting up in the field and it wasn't that bird didn't so much as hit the ground you we, we heard them fly down i don't i remember getting real excited but 
remember that bird flying down and I could hear him come through the, wor- the woods and he gobbled again and it echoed my, my chest. I could feel it in my stomach and I was just fired up, shaking. Looked up and here he comes, strutting out of the edge of the tree line. And it was so quiet this morning, that morning. It was, a, you know, a perfect spring morning. Calm, sunny, birds were chirping. And he comes out of the woods and I remember, I remember before I even seen him, I, I, I heard him go into full strut. You could hear you could hear his wings dragging the, the leaves and you could hear him spitting and drumming. And I just remember he came all the way into that, that hen decoy and tried to jump on her back and I swung over and, and hammered him. And I, I won't ever forget how fired up I was when I, when I killed that first Tom. And, and like I said, it, that that along with, with probably my first deer was the same situation. I was with my dad on that hunt. I remember this is probably one of the most memorable deer hunts is <laughs> because uh, in Oklahoma you had to you had to pull back forty pounds to make it legal with a compound bow. Well, I think I was probably eleven or twelve and I was trying to kill my first deer with a bow. I'd already killed a couple with a you know, muzzleloader and a rifle. But I was trying to kill my first deer with a bow and uh, I may have been a little bit younger, but I, all I remember is I had a little Parker bow and we had it set on forty pounds and I wasn't quite strong enough to to pull it back so my dad would sit behind me in the tree stand. And I remember I had I had the first buck come in that morning. It was a spike, which, you know, then I didn't care what it was. You know, I was going to kill my first deer with a bow. I didn't care if it was a doe, spike, whatever. If it's brown, it's down. That's right. So a spike comes in at 20 yards, and uh, I, I went to draw back, and I couldn't draw back all the way because I wasn't strong enough to break it over. So my dad would be behind me, and I would draw back halfway, and he'd grab my, he'd grab my elbow and help pull me, pull it back the rest of the way to break it over. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the only way. That's the only way I could get it back. So I, I drew back. He grabbed my, my elbow, pulled back the rest of the way to help break it over. And I remember I drilled that spike. I hit him right behind the shoulder. And he only ran like 30, 40 yards and went down. Wow. That was that was definitely one of my most memorable hunts, too, just because of my dad being in the stand helping pull back my bow for me. That and that turkey with my grandpa. But like I said, there's been a bunch over the years that, I you know, that's uh, been awesome hunts. A lot of them with my buddy Fred. I've been a lot – me and my buddy Fred have – uh, done quite a bit of hunting over the years between him coming here and me going there. And I know me and him have had a lot of, uh, fun elk hunts at his place in Colorado and bear hunts. And, uh, I killed my first mountain lion with him with my bow, um, predator hunts, just about everything. But man, it's hard to say, but like I said, those, those childhood memories always seem to stick out more than any of them. And I think it's just because, you know, it was your first animal you, you took, you know, whether it was with your grandpa or your dad, those always seem to stick out. The, making those memories and and we try to tell folks on this show all the time and and then when we're out talking to folks in public you know take if you have an opportunity to take a kid or take a new hunter take them oh uh, absolutely they will get more out of it than you ever will but you go you you'll get a lot of good memories and a lot of good stuff out of it uh you know taking my kids some of the conversations we have in the blind i'm sitting there shaking my head like are we really talking about this uh <laughs> you know quit talking you know Close your mouth, open your eyes. Let's get to looking. That's right. That's right. But, no, you know, a year later, you're thinking back and you're, uh, my daughter's first turkey, uh, she got last, not this past season, season four last, and I had actually filmed the entire hunt. And I had us on camera. I had I just left the camera running when we went out to get the turkey. And, you know, I told, uh, I've told it before, but I missed her dance and her singing turkey nuggets turkey nuggets somehow or another in the heat of the moment but i had it on camera because i when i went back and watched it i'm watching you know us walk back towards the turkey and i'm in front trying to 
fan the turkey out and you know get to get everything where it would make a good picture and you know i'm i'm caught up in what i'm doing and in the background you see her doing the dance and singing her little chant and it's like how did i miss that i i was caught up in the wrong moment i should have been right. you know sitting there watching her and cheering her on on her little dance because she was still fired up yeah she went out the front of the blind went out the window i leaned around <laughs> to unzip the door and she said daddy i got it and boom she fell out got up took <laughs> off running and i'm like oh put your foot on his head stay away from his feet you know i mean you're trying to give parental yeah. you know good advice and it's like did she really just fall out of the front of the blind i mean she didn't even <laughs> she take, that fired up <laughs> didn't he? and that was at eight you know didn't even take time to go out to zip you know the door on the blind it's like all right awesome. so all right now best hunt worst experience everything just went wrong well, I, I got, as soon as you said that, I, I got one that stands out more than any of them. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, especially when, before I was guiding full time, I mean, even before I was guiding full time, you know, I went on, you know, I was blessed enough to go on uh, quite a few hunts all over the world. I mean, I went to Argentina and I've been to Canada 10 or 12 times, Alaska, um, Africa. And so we've been in some encounters, you know, we've been in some situations that, you know, made a, a hunt go south, but one that stands out more than probably anything was, uh, and it was always, it's always seemed to be with my buddies too, especially when I was with my buddies back before we were guiding clients. Cause obviously, you know, once you're guiding clients, the weather gets bad, you know, more than likely you're going to go, you're going to, you're going to head back to camp. You don't want to risk it, you know, anyone getting hurt or anything, mm-hmm. but we, we were always bad about it. the weather got bad. We were just going to ride it out. So we were, we were never the type that I got, oh, the weather's going to get bad. Or we seen the forecast coming in we need to head back to camp so one day we were turkey hunting in texas and it was just me and a couple buddies um, i was hunting with one of my buddies and then had another buddy on the other side of my ranch hunting uh with another guy and we had some bad weather coming in that day and this was probably four or five years ago and we, we ignored it obviously like we always did and i get this notific- notification on my phone says tornado warning take shelter now and of course we didn't we, we laughed about it and uh yeah y'all are from the area you've seen tornadoes the whole life uh, oh you yeah li- you so live in tornado alley it. so i te- i texted my buddy on the other side of the ranch i said ride the whole boys i said we're not we're not going back to camp we're, we still got toms in the field and uh we were we were after a particular tom that day and we called him two feathers because he was he was missing two feathers out of his fan and so we were bound to determined to get him killed that day and he was out there in the field with a couple hens and uh um uh, so we get that notification. I, I send that text to my buddies, and I remember that time, the landowner texts me and says, "Hey, we got a tornado getting close. You guys should probably come back to camp and and take shelter with us." Well, when she had sent that, my phone had died. Right after I sent that text to my buddy, it said, "Right, the whole boys, my phone died." So we didn't even know. And uh, so we, we stayed out there and kept hunting. And you know, I could tell the, I could tell the weather was getting bad. Like we had dark clouds coming towards us. And all I remember is the wind hit me in the back of the neck and the wind hit me at the face in the face at the same time. I looked at my buddy like, man, I, <laughs> it's time uh, to go. <laughs> I, I, I ain't a genius, but that's the recipe for disaster. And, uh, we looked up across this wheat field. The wheat was at that time was probably, I don't know, a foot tall. And all I remember is that wheat field, the wind kicking up so hard, the wheat laid over flat, knocked the decoys down wheat laid over flat so we took off running and we were going to try to make it to a canyon there was a canyon probably a quarter of a mile from us and we're like man if we could just make it to that canyon you know it'd be better shelter than being up here on the flat so we take off and i think we only made it 
40, 50 yards, and the wind blew me down. Hit me from the back, blew me down. It was so it was so hard. I got up again, took off running again. The wind blew me down again. And so after that, I looked at my buddy. I said, dude, we're going to take shelter. So we crawled up under a small mesquite tree. I want to forget, we had our turkey vest with us. We put our turkey vest over our heads, crawled up under this mesquite tree, locked arms, and it started hailing. And I, I remember, like, the hail was maybe a little bit smaller than golf, golf ball size hail, but it was coming down so hard with that wind that, you know, it, it was literally make a bruise on you. I mean, it, it hurt yeah. and knocked the wind out of you. So we put our vest over our head and, what you know, what we could of our backs to, to shelter us from the, the hail. And all I remember is, you know, that people say it sounds like a train. And it's spot on. I remember it sounded like a like a train right on top of us, and it was an F three. I mean, an F three came right over the top of us. Really, it was like 120 mile per hour winds. It was. I mean, we went from laughing about it to almost tears in our eyes. <laughs> tears in our eyes. We were so scared. We, at at that point in time, we honestly thought we'd went we we, we had finally went too far. <laughs> we'd pushed the limits way too far, and uh, we locked arms. I don't know. It probably only lasted four or five minutes, but you know, it felt like it lasted forever just because how crazy it was and i remember it finally passed over we looked up sun kind of comes back out we looked up around us all the big mesquite trees around us have got they got uprooted and it, the only ones that didn't get uprooted were the small ones and the sm- one of the small ones was the one we, we grabbed a hold on to <laughs> i guess just because they were lighter and closer to the ground bigger trees got uprooted it was absolutely crazy that we survived it so old two two feathers got a pass that day no, he didn't. So the, 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 it went from, it went from, it went from bad to good. So we get up and we're high-fiving, laughing. We went from almost crying, tears in our eyes, thinking that, you know, we were about to die to getting up high-fiving, saying, oh man, no one's going to believe this. We just survived an F3 tornado. Uh, and it, it wasn't, I, this is no lie. It wasn't probably two or three minutes after that passed. You hear a gobble in the background. And I looked at him. I said, you got to be kidding me. I mean, it was that quick that Tom gobbled after that passed. Sun came back out. Tom gobbled. I said, "All right, let's get our stuff." I mean, we were soaked. I mean, we didn't care. We're like, man, we, we are better here this long. We're gonna we're gonna try to kill us, Tom. Make this story even better. So we 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 grabbed all of our guns. We we threw our gun probably a hundred yards back. If that, we threw it down when we took off running. Um, all we had was our vest. We go back and get our decoys and our gun. And we circle back around. And it was probably an hour before dark. We called in all two feather and got them killed. <laughs> so after all of that, you still were able to work a success out of a, oh, yeah. a clear mess up and and judgment call on, on when to run from the weather or when exactly. not exactly and we were too far from the truck too because i remember we got back to the truck after dark going oh man i hope our buddy's phones were dead too so like man i hope <laughs> we hope they're not dead you know uh, so we get back to we get back to the truck and it's dark and they're not there yet so we're starting to get a little worried finally probably 15 20 minutes later they come walking up and they had about the same story as us they had to take cover and and got up under a tree and anyways long story short they survived it and uh they ended up actually two of my big bucks i had on camera that year and both of these bucks were in the 160s uh one of them had about uh 12 inch brow tines i mean we, we call them tall brows uh disappeared about mid-season and we're like we couldn't figure out whatever happened to these two bucks we're like man maybe he crossed the property line but where he was at on camera we really didn't think this bucket, you know, got across the property line and got shot. So we didn't know what happened. Well, they ended up finding those two bucks locked up that day. It was during turkey season. They were locked up dead. Really? They, they got locked up and uh, and uh, couldn't get unlocked and died. So it was, it was kind of a crazy day. Survived that three tornado. Found two of my bucks. 
mid 160s that were locked up together dead and shot the tom we were after <laughs> <laughs> well I, yeah i can say this it, i've asked that question a time or two on this show to folks and i'm i'm thinking you're winning right now um <laughs> Because that is yeah. definitely one of the wilder stories. You normally it's just a you know a bad client adventure or something that just didn't quite go right, a leak in a boat, something. But man, we've had, we've had our bad ones over the years. I, I, I remember also too. It was, it was just a couple of years ago. We were the same situation. We were out bow fishing and just wearing the fish out. We, we were we, it was probably we probably shot over 100 fish this night so far. Weather was perfect, real calm, and out of nowhere, um, wind kicks up, and we were on a lake where. You don't want to be when the wind kicks up. It doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have any hills or anything around it to block the wind. And we tried to go back to the dock, and it was white capping so hard, we literally couldn't make it back. So we ended up just having to run the bank, the boat up on the bank. And it was wide open out here. There's hardly any trees. So we ran up on the bank and got up under a tree, and it held and poured rain on us for probably 30 minutes, and the boat just getting super swamped. And we finally survived that storm and got over there and, and, uh, all the water out of the boat enough to where we could drive it and i remember we made it about halfway back to the dock and and uh blew something in the engine so oh, that's always fun. long story short we ended up having to troll the last like mile and a half back to the boat ramp i think it was almost daylight by the time we got back <laughs> but now we've we put ourselves in situations like that on many occasions uh between bow fishing and, and hunting and I remember catfishing one time, same situation as out there. It was white cabin out there, but we were still hammering the catfish so we wouldn't leave. I was lightning around us, and we're sitting there thinking to, thinking to each other, man, this is absolutely stupid. We're sitting here hammering these catfish, and it's lightning all around us and white capping. But like I said, that's one of them stupid things we did when we were young on our buddy hunts, and I guess they make for good stories these days. Well, and, and all our listeners out there do remember, Garrett said they do not, they try not to do this with their clients. Uh, this is this is buddy <laughs> yeah, hunts where I mean, they take it the, too the, far. The only so. time I would ever, I would ever push through a storm with a client is if, it, if you know, I knew the guy pretty well, and he, he said he's the one that wanted to stay out. But usually, you know, we have we have weather hit when clients are there. We usually go back to camp and let it pass over and get back out unless we're in a box blind or something. Well, Garrett, look, we're running, we're running up on time here, but man, before we get off here, I want to say thank you, man. It's been a blast visiting with you today, and I hope everybody listening to this has enjoyed it also. But before we get off, tell everybody how they can get up with you if they want to come get in on experience with you. Okay, um, you can you can contact me by just calling or texting me, and my phone number is nine one eight three eight one nine four four five. Um, that's my personal cell phone number. So you can call or text me on that number, or you can look me up on Instagram and that's at, at Rosh Garrett. And that's at a, no, sorry, at R A S C H G A R R E T T. And that's my personal Instagram. That's, uh, that's where I post usually all my, uh, personal hunts and my clients hunts. And I'll have a website coming out here pretty soon. We're in the process of getting it built and it's going to be, uh, www.namethegameoutfitters.com okay well yeah uh shoot me that when you get a chance and uh yep. we'll make sure we get that on the page and everything but look we want to thank you again and look for all our listeners out there uh, this is another episode of outdoor country talk thank you and god bless well ain't nothing like a southern lord to make you feel all right i got the windows down I got the radio on.